What up, y'all? Hope everybody enjoyed their three-day weekend. Unfortunately, I did not. And why is that, you ask? Because when I tried to shoot my bow yesterday, my arrows were hitting their target crazy high. Now, don't get me wrong. The groupings were dumb tight, but still way off the mark. Then I realized I had not shot my bow since last weekend when I had my peep sight secured at the shop. Ugh. Anyways... Time to pay some bills. Check out the Onyx Hunt app. Get an edge with the most intelligent and accurate GPS mapping tool for hunters. Listen, I know I'm new to bow hunting, but the Onyx Hunt app has been instrumental in all of my scouting. I've been able to e-scout from home just by going to onyxmaps.com. Then using the app on my iPhone, I'm able to head out to the woods and either confirm what I've seen or just make any necessary changes. Now, the dope part is any changes I make on one platform like my computer syncs to the other one like my iPhone with no problem. So visit onyxmaps.com and sign up or download the Onyx Hunt app to your Apple or Android device today. Next up, Nor'easter Game Calls. Mark is the artist behind the custom masterpieces that he puts out on the regular. This time of year, he's cranking out duck calls, goose calls, elk calls, grunt calls. Whatever you need to get him close, Mark has got him. Nor'easter Game Calls has the tools to help you. You could check out Mark's Instagram page at Nor'easter Game Calls and actually see the pieces he's working on. And when you're ready to order, visit www.nor-eastergamecalls.com and pull the trigger on a brand new custom call. So check this out. The New York State DEC has confirmed epizootic hemorrhagic disease in both Putnam and Orange County of New York. Epizootic hemorrhagic disease, or EHD, is a viral disease that white-tailed deer get, and it cannot be contracted by humans. Thank God, all right, because we're already dealing with the freaking coronavirus. <laughs> so the EHD virus is carried by small bugs like biting midges, and uh, once infected with EHD, deer usually die within 36 hours. Now, the disease does not spread from deer to deer or from deer to humans. In the Northeast, EHD outbreaks generally occur sporadically and deer in New York don't really have any immunity to it. But surprisingly enough, uh, there are locations in the country, like in the southern states, where there are annual outbreaks. Some deer have actually developed an immunity. So, if you are a hunter hunting deer here in New York State, do not handle or eat any deer that appear to be sick or acting strangely. I leave you with the following question. How does a deer act strangely? Welcome to episode 38 of When the Hunt Calls. I'm your host, Cliff Cadet, and I appreciate you joining me. So, the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation is a nonprofit organization whose goal is, and I quote, to provide the bowhunter with the information to achieve the highest possible success rate and reduce the wound/slash non-recovery rate of big game to the lowest possible level. End quote. With that being said, I spoke with Rob Nielsen, the president of the foundation, and discussed 
arrows, FOC, and broadheads. Pick up a pencil and a notepad and listen in on our conversation. So, ladies and gentlemen, um, I wanted to learn more about arrows, and I figured who better to speak to than someone from the Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation. Um, and he's on the line with me right now. Please introduce yourself. Hi, Cliff. Uh, my name is Rob Nielsen. I am the co-founder and president of the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. Uh, we're based out of Cypress, Texas, and uh, greatly appreciate you having me on your podcast. Uh, no, I really appreciate you, uh, you know, coming on to speak with me and educate me on, um, not, I'm not going to say all things arrows, but definitely um, what I was trying to learn from your website. Um, before we really dive into, um, you know, arrows, I wanted to know what exactly is the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation? Uh, Ashby Bowhunting Foundation, uh, we're a 501c3 uh, nonprofit organization. Uh, we do not accept any funds whatsoever from the archery industry, keeping us completely uh, unbiased. Uh, so, I mean, if you start talking to people, if you, if I started taking money from any archery manufacturer, I would definitely be biased. Uh, our goal is to educate bow hunters to use the most lethal arrow setups as, as possible for whatever they're hunting. Doesn't matter where, what, or how, uh, use the most lethal arrow systems, uh, as possible to help reduce the wound loss rates out there that we're seeing. Well, a wound loss rate means what exactly? Bear with me because there will probably be um, – I'm going um, to ask for you to be patient with me because there may be some terms or phrases you use. I may ask you to elaborate on it a little bit further as I'm pretty new to this. So what exactly is the wound loss rate? Like what does that refer to? Let's say uh, you have a area where you have, okay, you're going to do X number of – we'll just use, for example, whitetail hunts. And mm -hmm. uh, you've got – say a hundred whitetail hunters go in there and they lose 25%. A hundred shots are made, but 25% of them are wounded and lost. So that means 25 of those animals were wounded and lost and they're gone. Okay. So Understood. that's, that's Understood. what we're talking about. So then, and just kind of do a real simple term. And there's really no, uh, firm, uh, accurate. Okay. The wound lost data out there. I mean, cause number one, the, Bow hunters aren't going to tell you if they've wounded an animal or lost it. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's basically uh, from gathered from various areas, and I'm hearing these numbers from the experts that are, you know, in these conservation agencies that are telling us that these uh, numbers are uh, getting high, and we need to do something about it and educate the, the bow hunters to, uh, to help bring these uh, wound loss rates down. You, you, you know what? A question just popped into my head. As as a bow hunter, I'm legally required to report that I've harvested a, uh, an animal, right? Correct. So I'm not legally required to, if I, if let's say I can confirm that, let's say this fall, I hit this deer, like, um, well, I'm not sure where, but I know I've hit this deer, but I haven't found it. Am I not legally required to report that as well? Uh, it depends on where you are. In some states, okay, okay. In some states you probably are, and then it comes down to ethics. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if I draw blood, that's my animal. That's what I'm going after. I, I consider my tag punched if I draw blood. So understood. All right. So now, um, the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation is actually named after a Dr. Ashby. Would you be able to right. tell me a little bit about him, Dr. Ed Ashby? Yes. Uh, All right. 
back in uh, in uh, Dr. Ashby basically was in uh, Africa, lived in Africa. He was a Ph living in Africa. He um, he was basically uh, sanctioned by the uh, South African government. Uh, they were doing a study to uh, basically see, okay, can these animals be hunted ethically uh, with a bow and arrow? So he uh, he basically uh, he and his team did what they called uh, it was a four year study, and uh, it ended up being known as the Natal study. And then the South African government used that study to legalize bow hunting because prior to it was like 84, 85, somewhere in the mid 80s, um, the uh, bow hunting, wherever it was referenced in Africa, was illegal. So, I mean, the countries that where you could go bow hunt, it wasn't even referenced in the, in the laws. So, uh, so you could get away with it and going into those countries, but like South Africa and the other sub-Saharan countries, uh, where it was actually mentioned prior to Dr. Ashby doing this uh, Natal study with his team, uh, it was illegal. So, uh, so basically he legalized his research and his team got bow hunting. Uh, the research he did was, uh, legalized bow hunting in uh, basically all sub-Saharan Africa. And, uh, then he left uh, Africa and he ended up in Australia and continued this research uh, for another 30 years on uh, the Asiatic buffalo. And uh, so, and when I say 30 years, and people see that on the website, 27, 30 years, um, he was in the bush literally 300 out of 365 days a year. This isn't a two month period of time for a hunting season like what we know about it in the United mm-hmm. States. So, this is full blown. 300 out of 365 days a year doing research. Wow. And so, uh, but, uh, he's, uh, and he is, uh, he's, uh, he's one of the co-founders. He's an officer on the, on the Ashby bow hunting foundation. Uh, uh, I actually tried to get him to be the president of the foundation. I was like, your name's on the door. And, uh, but he's like, no, he wanted me to go ahead and go with it. So, uh, and, uh, and not only do we have, uh, his research, but we uh, and a lot of people you'll see it in the industry or hear it in the industry. Oh, that stuff's old. That's ancient. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is we've got manufacturers that actually follow his guidelines. And over the, say, the past 15 plus years, we've been gathering data from them, okay, uh, in real life uh, where it matters in hunting situations from everything from, you name it, turkey all the way through elephant. Mm-hmm. And basically, thousands of animals hundreds of elephants not thousands of elephants but probably over a hundred elephant several thousand cape asiatic buffalo and literally hundreds of everything else uh hundreds and thousands of everything else countless game animals all over the world by uh using this type of uh uh arrow systems and mm-hmm. uh, they uh it, but all of this just it completely strongly validates all of his research and uh, here recently, I've had a uh, scientist come in that basically he told me, he said, Rob, he said, he, he's got a unique background. He is literally a rocket scientist. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he was like, I've looked at everything out there and I'm going to come on and I'm going to help y'all. I'm going to help y'all with the science behind it. He said, everything I've done my whole career, uh, the physics is the same. And he said, y'all are the only ones that are talking about it correctly for arrow penetration. He said, I've done this in my entire career uh, in various capacities, uh, Department of Defense, uh, getting missiles to fly 3,000 miles, supersonic missiles and everything, and, and how these missiles, how these weapons penetrate and how they don't penetrate. So, 
Uh, he said, yeah, he said, the physics is the same. He said, we're just going at a few hundred feet per second versus, you know, supersonic. And uh, so. Wow. But before before I, I go any further, a, a quick question popped into my head because I'm I'm not familiar with with, uh, you know, wild animals overseas, but I would never in my life believe that an arrow could pierce an elephant hide. So just the the right arrow weight and the right bow poundage would can actually do that can, yes, can get through that wow it, the okay. right yeah the right and it starts it it starts with what touches the animal the broadhead and uh, if you've got the right broadhead the right structural I mean everything structural integrity uh, perfect flight everything the right bow to launch that air efficiently enough then we've got full pass throughs on elephants I mean I'm talking about wow going all the way through. That is wow. I've it. I've got a mental picture right now, and it's and I can only wow. Okay, um, that's amazing. Now, um, to get a little bit more specific, I guess I'm curious with, um, because I don't know in terms of in terms of bow hunt, bow hunting technology, um, arrows and bows, um, what um can I ask? Uh, did Doctor Doctor Ashby uh shoot like did did they really have compound bows? Um, I'm not gonna say way back when, like it was ages ago, <laughs> but I'm sure they were probably like they were probably like earlier versions of a compound bow. Yes, yes, he um, had some, he had some early versions of the compound bows, which obviously are not as efficient as the ones that they make today. But uh, but yes, he had some compound bows, but most of his testing was done with traditional gear, and the reason being, he wanted that arrow to actually stop in the animal so he could take the measurements because if it blew all the way through the animal and out the opposite side and out in the grass, he didn't have anything to measure. So it was, that data point was gone. So, uh, he wanted that. So he went down and used lighter poundages, less efficient bows to launch these arrows into the animals and, uh, to, to basically get the measurements to, to gather the data. Right. Did he, did he also use traditional bows as well? Yes. Yes. Nice. Yes. Sorry. I mean, so his long bows and recurves. Yes, sure did. Got it. Wow. All right. So that definitely a, a thorough, thorough piece of uh, research. Um, I guess I want to know next, how do you come to the Ash, Ashby Bow Hunting Foundation? Um, you know, in terms of, I guess, your experience with, with bow hunting and such. Yeah. Yeah. Real easy. Uh, like everybody else, failure. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I started bow hunting a long time ago and buying everything, everything worked, uh, for the longest time. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, I talked to the manufacturers and no, do you need to use this, use this. This is the latest, greatest stuff. Well, the latest, greatest stuff started failing. And I'm talking about failing to get penetration on whitetail deer. And I started, I was like, wait a minute, my stuff I was using worked. This stuff isn't. I started dissecting it and I was having, uh, arrow and broad and or broadhead failures and basically rolling up and just becoming a, a stop in that animal uh the, the, the points just rolling up and uh, uh or the arrow breaking uh or blunder bussing around the uh, feral where basically all penetration stops so i mean i was having all kinds of issues and uh so i started doing some research i was like got to be a better way and, and once i started doing some research that's when i found dr ashby's reports and i started taking it a step farther uh started using utilizing that equipment and started talking to the manufacturers and then i was like okay i want to meet this guy and uh, so i actually traced him down and 
and met him years ago and uh but just he's a he's a walking encyclopedia of uh bow hunting and archery and arrows and arrow lethality i mean so uh, so that's how I, I actually got involved with it was, uh, actually through a series of, of misfortunate events, uh, you know, but it was arrow and broadhead failure and uh, that, but that's, that's what started me on this path. Well, so, so, um, I guess another question I, and bear with me again, because, uh, there's certain things amazing that it could do it, but, um, so a broadhead can't, depending on the, the type of metal use can actually bend back upon penetration into an animal yes it can roll up like that and you do not i mean depending on the steel and the metallurgy and everything so yes mm-hmm. i mean the, the the little cheap pot metal broadheads and everything they'll just roll up and crumple up like that the blades will break off and stuff i mean they're real cheap to make uh but the higher quality ones uh you want i would rather have that broadhead tempered to a level where say if i run into heavy bone or something and something's going to give i would rather that tip to chip but keep my cutting surfaces not roll up and become a stop. But that say that tip chips off, but I want that, that blade to keep going forward. So I would almost rather, but not too much. I mean, it's a, it's a fine line. So I don't want it to chip at all, but I would rather have it chip than roll up on me. So. Understood. Understood. All right. So, um, I attempted to, to look at the report or to read the, the Ashby report, um, online and could make neither head nor tail of it. If someone, if someone, uh, attempted to look at it on their own, what is one thing uh, or a couple of things they should know upon reading the report? Uh, I would say if they're just now getting, uh, started on the, uh, on the reports, I would, we've got an area on our website called getting started. Okay. And I would look at those, um, I mean, and, and start with the 12 factors and that just going to get, that's going to give you a high level overview. And then from there you can go from the 12 factors, you can start reading down all the previous reports. Uh, that would be the number one I would point people to is just read the 12 factors and if there are any questions, people can shoot us emails. We'll be glad to answer it, explain it to them if they don't understand what it is. So, yeah, I've, I've got to say uh, thank you to you and your team, because honestly, um, I believe Todd was who I spoke to um, was just really great about uh, I sent an, an email out and I believe it was an email. Yeah. And then we spoke on the phone. So I really appreciate that. And again, yeah. uh, appreciate you taking the time out to get on the podcast and speak oh. with me. My pleasure. All uh, right. So, um, one of the main reasons I, I had wanted you on this uh, this episode was to discuss FOC, which I believe stands for front of center, and maybe get right. an explanation of it. And what I'm finding with FOC is that there it, there's a big debate. You'll never find someone in the middle. Kind of like politics, you're either far left or you're far right. <laughs> it seems to be with FOC, like you either believe in it or you don't. But yeah. one of the, one of the things we happened to speak about right before we started recording was you mentioned that there are a couple of things that are actually more important than FOC. Uh, you mind diving into those? Yes, absolutely. Uh, the first one and always the most important one when you're hunting is the structural integrity of your broadhead and your arrow, the complete system. Uh, if any part of that arrow or broadhead bends and think if you, if your broadhead bends, What's the rest of this arrow going to do? It's going to try to follow that path. It's going to try to turn and go around that path if that broadhead is bent. So that means your arrow stops. 
Okay, so you've got to keep that structural integrity to get that arrow all the way through that animal. Uh, and right there with that is uh, perfect flight. Say if your bow is not tuned or you have a mismatched arrow uh, on your bow, your bow is tuned, but you put the wrong arrow on there and your bow, your arrow comes off that bow and it hits that animal sideways, you are losing penetration uh from from a lack mm-hmm. of perfect flight and and a lot of people and just to go down that rabbit hole a little farther uh to get perfect flight you've got to have your bow tuned and usually you go you go to your pro shops and they, they're going to square up your bow they're going to set it up and have it real close to where it needs to be and uh, they're going to have it center shot they're going to check for cam lean they're going to check for your timing everything's going to be ready to go and they're going to have you basically have, have you uh, with your, they should set you up with the right arrows and broadheads. A lot of times they will not because they don't understand the hunting aspect of it or arrow lethality themselves. But it should be very close for you to be able to go and dial in the rest of your bow and your arrows to, uh, to obtain perfect flight. And, and one thing that I do and a lot of people do is basically bear shaft with no feathers on the air shaft and shoot to make sure that uh, because basically what the feathers do is help stabilize that arrow in flight and it it will basically mask uh, any bow tuning errors that are out there and then plus also bear shafting you've got to have really good form uh, your bow's got to be tuned and everything but you want a perfect bullet hole through that paper when you're shooting through the paper and the targets behind it you mm-hmm. want perfect bullet hole if you're getting a tear left right up down something is out of whack and that is really exaggerated now i can take a feathered arrow with a bow that is slightly out of tune and it will look like a perfect bullet hole but when i strip those uh feathers off i will get those tears like that and if i can dial it in to where i'm getting just just that perfect flight everything's aligned perfectly launching that arrow perfectly then i know once i'll take the next steps fletch my other uh uh arrows and uh, keep going down that path and get everything ready to go hunt you know i do that on every one of my arrows all right so just just to recap so before even thinking of oc we're looking for the structure a really good structural structural integrity of the of the arrow and we're looking for perfect flight and in and in achieving perfect flight you want to the the tip would be you want to go with bare shaft tuning yes yes and uh and most of the bow shops there, a lot of bow shops will not know what the heck you're talking about. And, uh, really? Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Unfortunately not. So, uh, uh, they don't, they won't even paper tune. They'll just set your bow up and say, here, go shoot. You're fine. Get out the door next. Let me get the next customer in and make a sale and next and keep oh, going. You, you, you literally just described my weekend at, at my bow shop just past weekend i was like it was kind of like i got in got out and that, yeah. and that was it you know what i'm saying yeah. and but th- thankful enough i just needed the serving done uh, around my peep site and then a, a new d loop installed so yeah. it wasn't yeah. that that crazy yeah. um how much um i guess again before again before we go into foc does does arrow weight play into foc or is that something totally different uh usually well it can uh, mm-hmm. You don't have to shoot a heavy arrow to high have, and I say heavy is relative. I mean, and I'm going to just say, okay, uh, I'm going to call a 450 grain arrow, a light arrow, and I'm going to call for this purpose of this uh, 650 grain arrow, a heavier arrow. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And, uh, but, uh, I can build a sub 500 grain arrow and still have above 25% FOC, depending on my components, depending on the arrow shaft. And, and that's going to be also dependent on the poundage of the bow that is launching that arrow. Cause see, I can use a slider, a lighter arrow, like a 400 spine arrow and build a real high FOC, but I'm going to be shooting that arrow cause it's not as stiff. I'm going to be shooting that off a lower efficient, a lower poundage bow. Mm. So say a 40, 50 pound bows to shoot those, uh, the weaker spines, but I can still build those up to have good high FOC. And all, uh, right. all the FOC is, is the balance point. So, I mean, normally yes, but uh, no, you don't, it does not necessarily have to, to get high FOC. You do not have to have a super heavy overall system. Mm. Um. Is it true? I, I believe I've heard that with the higher the arrow weight, you may want to go with less bow poundage. Is that correct? Or it doesn't matter? I always encourage people to use the most efficient bow that they can accurately handle. And mm -hmm. say, if you can go out there and you can handle a 90 pound bow and it's accurate and you can maneuver with that thing. Hey, great. Uh, but if somebody can only handle a 50 pound bow, then Hey, use that. So uh, I always right. tell people to use the most efficient bow that they can use and still shoot it accurately and comfortably. So, uh, right. I mean, we're out there to have fun. We're not out there to try to, you know, gorilla <laughs> these things down. The <laughs> so. Agree. Agree. Cause I, uh, I could imagine trying to go in with like a hundred pound, uh, you know, uh, bow with a hundred pound uh, draw weight into my local range, they'll be like, "Uh, uh, nope." Yeah. They're not having you destroy their targets. There. Well, and well, it, it's funny because um, I was out at Doc's, uh, Doc Ashby's, and he handed me a bow, and it was a long bow, but it was a hundred and fifteen pound Howard Hill long bow. Wow. And 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 he got the biggest laugh out of me trying to string that thing. <laughs> and <I was> just, <laughs> <laughs> we did get it strong we uh but uh and i was able to i was able to shoot it but i was a it was a very short draw before i released so oh, was, wow so but uh but yeah it was uh an impressive bow very impressive bow. <laughs> got it got it all right so let's let's jump into the million dollar question all right so what exactly is a foc um and the, and the reason i want to go into it is because like i said um you got people on uh there's no one in the middle it's either it's a foc is a big deal or or the person that's on the other side that's like no it isn't and unfortunately or um not, i'm not gonna say unfortunately but oddly enough a lot of the people that say it doesn't matter are either brand loyalists or actually from a specific brand the and um I don't know if that has anything to do with it, um, but could you explain exa exactly what front of center is and what it means to, to the arrow? Yes, uh, forward of center is basically, in simplest terms, it's the balance point of your arrow. So, uh, and yes, it will help you overcome impact flex. It will help aid in penetration in hunting situations. But like I was saying before, it's, it's important and, and, and say if I take someone with a 32-inch draw length, you know, super long draw length, 31, 32-inch draw length, they are at a disadvantage to have a higher FOC just because of that long draw length and that long mm -hmm. arrow shaft. 
versus someone that has a 27-inch draw length, they are going to have a higher FOC. But then again, that 31-inch person versus a 27-inch person, they're going to, that 31-inch is going to be more efficient on their launch because that arrow stays on that string four more inches before it releases versus the 27-inch guy. Mm. So you think about it, that power stroke of that arrow, of that bow, is going to stay on that string longer to get more of that bow's efficiency launched into that arrow. But even though, you know, you take the longer object with the less FOC and you mm-hmm. take the shorter guy, he's going to have, you basically take the same shafts, uh, same heads, but just four inches difference. The person with a 27 inch, uh, arrow is going to have a higher FOC. So, uh, does that make sense? But no, no, I totally understand because uh, the person with the with the shorter, let's say, uh, the shorter arrow is essentially shooting a heavier dart. Yes. You know saying with the, with the front end, and but the person like you you mentioned with the longer arrow, because their arrow stays on the string longer, it's going to be a little bit more accurate. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's going to have more. It's going to be more efficient when it launches. It may or may or may or not be accurate. It depends. Okay. That depends on who the shooter is. So, so. efficient in efficient in what sense then? efficient in uh the bow the 31 inch draw is going to be more efficient to launch the arrow okay okay the shorter draw length say they're both equal poundage and everything mm-hmm. and each same bow everything else uh i'm gonna say the person with a 27 inch draw it, that arrow is going to overcome impact flex you, we've all seen the arrows on slow motion when you launch the arrows yeah they they basically porpoise okay mm-hmm. um when that arrow hits a target whether it is and i've got a video um in our presentation and it's uh it's actually of you've heard of byron ferguson the The name sounds familiar he's a longbow shooter trick shooter uh breaks aspirin flying through the air i mean unbelievable guy um i was watching one of his videos and i thought i was like wow look at this and he was it was it was literally a little blue ball uh, and it was the guys on uh, Smarter Every Day. I think they've got a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. But this ball is flying through the air and free-floating few-ounce ball. When his arrow hits that ball floating through the air, you can see the impact flex because it's a, it's a, it's a high-speed camera, but you can see that arrow shaft just wiggle. And, okay. it, and then, then you start thinking, okay, if it's going that on a – ping pong ball or a little ball floating through the air that weighs a couple of ounces. What's it going to do on a white-tailed deer or a bear or something? You're definitely going to get that impact flex. So that FOC with everything up front will help overcome that impact flex and help drive that arrow. It, that arrow will stabilize quicker on impact. It'll it'll stabilize from that impact flex quicker and be carrying on its forward uh, progress with whatever energy it's got. So, yes, the higher the FOC you can get along without messing up your perfect flight, then, yes, you will get through that animal quicker. That arrow will stabilize quicker. We've got that captured on video, uh, and it's real easy to see. So, All right. Now, keeping, keeping all that information or taking all that information into consideration, looking for, you know, perfect flight, uh, good structural integrity, um, uh, pretty, you know, good FOC based off of, uh, you know, what you're shooting and such, um, is, 
how, how can I put it? Is everything determined by the type of arrow that you're shooting and then the type of game that you're trying to kill? Like, uh, for example, if uh, I'm hunting whitetail this fall and I'm using one set of arrows, if I'm going to be hunting hog uh, a couple months later, do I want to use a different set of arrows and then FOC is different for that and, and, and things like that? Or, like, how does that work? Um, I, for me, I set up one arrow system. I set up my bow, I tune it. Uh, once I get my bow tuned, I can basically run, uh, one arrow system for everything. And so I don't have to worry about changing my bow because you start going one arrow to another arrow, Mm -hmm. unless you have multiple bows where they're dialed in, you're going to have to basically reset that bow for those arrows. And then you reset your sight, make sure everything is, uh, is dialed in. Now I said that, but I do have my bow where I've, I've run different shafts once I've got it dialed in and after I've uh, uh, paper tuned it, uh, bear shaft tuned everything, I've run from mid 500 grain arrows to well over a thousand grain arrows and still got perfect flight, but it was different spines and everything else. So, I mean, once you get your bow set, you can run that, but uh, the simplest thing for me is like uh, I'll run one arrow that I know is good enough to kill everything I'm hunting. Uh, I mean, if I can kill a, if I can kill an elk with an arrow, I know I can kill a whitetail with it and anything smaller. So, uh, so I use enough arrow and, uh, go after everything. I mean, I, I killed a turkey this past uh, spring with the same arrow that I hunt, uh, Neil got with on the, down in South Texas. So, which is a, you know, 600 pound animal. So it doesn't matter to me that arrow's going to kill the, kill it, whatever I shoot. So, it's going to get through there. So I just use one arrow set, set up, but some people like using multiples and have different sights or different bows. And it's a personal preference, really. Just so you make sure you're, if you use different arrows and different bows, then make sure everything's dialed in. Got it. Now, are, are there, are there, uh, hunting, hunting manufacturers, whatever it may be, whether they be, they manufacture arrows or bows that utilize the, the Ashby, uh, report and, and take all that information into consideration when they're creating their product? Yes, there are. All right. Um, they're, they're, they're actually on our links page of our website. So, and uh, there's probably some more out there. Uh, there's some more that are starting to follow the, uh, the Ashby type systems. And, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I'll probably, I may not have everybody linked out there, but I've got basically the, the main, the main pioneers of it. I know. So, all and right. We, so, and, and, and I say that, and we're not, uh, we, we don't promote products. Uh, mm-hmm. we're like, okay, y'all build the Ashby type systems. This is that, that was one of the common questions we get. Okay. Well, y'all, you've got this information out there. Who can I go talk to, to, to get these products? And, and that's why we put these guys out there. So they don't pay us anything for it. And I told them, I was like, I will put y'all on the, on here as a link and I will do a handshake with you. We'll do a reciprocal links. You, you put uh, a link to our website on your website and we'll do it on ours. And, uh, and, and as long as you're making the Ashby type systems, we'll keep that going. And they agreed. All right. Now you mentioned earlier, so just to backtrack a little, um, that, um, a certain type of broadhead was best when, when, you know, utilizing all the findings from the report, um, Mm -hmm. would you, I, I, and I, I guess it doesn't, 
um, again, I, I don't understand how the anatomy of a broadhead works, but what characteristics of a broadhead do you really need in order for, for you to be able to use all that information? Um, well, I'll just, I mean, I'll just run down through everything with you. I mean, the next behind forward center of the arrow is the mm -hmm. broadheads, uh, what we call mechanical advantage. And I've had some people ask me, say, well, Hey, does that mean a mechanical broadhead has an advantage? I, I, I was just about to ask that. <laughs> no, it does not. That's actually a, a physics term. So, I mean, think of a wheelchair ramp. This is the easiest mm -hmm. analogy. Think of a wheelchair ramp. Is that long or is it short and steep? If it's if it was short and steep, now think if you had to push somebody up a short and steep wheelchair ramp versus pushing someone up a long, narrow ramp. So, mm -hmm. and that's what it means by mechanical advantage. You want the longer, narrower broadheads for penetration. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're we're penetrating an animal. This is a hemorrhage weapon. This is not a shock weapon. Uh, when you start running into these high angle, high angles when they're coming in, and you've got a super high angle. To get that through the hide, you are basically robbing your arrow. I mean, your arrow only has so much energy in forward progress, and you are robbing that arrow of that forward progress before it even gets into the thoracic cavity by using these broadheads that have these super steep angles. So versus a longer, narrower, cut-on contact, uh, there's a lot of them out there that have these little punch-through heads on mm -hmm. them. Uh, I steer clear of those. If you hit a bone with that punch through head or a thick hide or it's something, it's probably going to mushroom. It's it's likely going to stop. I mean, you Unstop, could get, yeah. you could yeah. get through it, but I mean, it's just the cut on contacts are so much more efficient and, and especially for, and, and a lot of people use the, these punch throughs and they use the high angles. And if they're shooting higher poundage, more efficient bows, fine. But when that, when, uh, you're getting into the lower pounders, the 50 pounds, the 40 pounds, sub 50 pound range. You definitely want to be using the cut on contacts. We promote cut on contacts for everything. It doesn't matter what poundage. Uh, but I'm just saying there's, there's going to be people out there. Well, I like this. So I've killed this with it. Fine. But make sure your bow is super efficient. And, and, uh, but yeah. And if, but if you, and when I say heavy bone, I'm talking scapula humerus uh, on like a white tail. I mean, that's, big thick bone i'm not talking about a rib but i've actually seen whitetail ribs texas whitetail ribs stop some of these poorly designed broadheads it just hits it hits a rib and it stops and it never gets that arrow never gets into the thoracic cavity and these are all efficient bows like 70 pound bows mm -hmm. so so i mean the bow basically the bow mean nothing if if your arrow or even your broadhead isn't on point Correct. <laughs> pardon the pun pardon the pun Correct. but um yeah so now i guess the way i'm figuring it though if you have that that wider that wider angle you're talking about that's just increasing the the surface area and just of what's going to come in contact and end up slowing down that arrow correct so which is why from what i yeah i guess if i'm understanding correctly you want that lower angle and cut on contact so with the con cut on contact that's more I'm going to assume that you're talking about then fixed blade broadheads as Correct. opposed to mechanical. Correct. All right. And, and, and people will go, well, I want to use my mechanicals because it flies like my field point. Well, to me, people that use mechanicals that say that they don't know how to tune a bow. 
They don't know how mm-hmm. to tune their arrows. They don't know how to bear shaft. I mean, they use that as a crutch to me. Uh, it's like, you know, people, there are people out there that say, oh, you can't get a fixed blade to fly right. Well, I'm sorry. We could do it all the time. Uh, mm. he, that person needs to ask the right people if they can't get a fixed blade to uh, fly right for them. So, uh, but again, it comes down to who's paying them to say this. So they're, that's where they're, they're making their money from these manufacturers to promote the, the high angle stuff and the expandables and, and all that. And, and on our website, we don't even recommend using mechanicals for anything. And, uh, it, and an interesting thing, a lot of people don't realize that the National Bowhunter Education Foundation in the IBEP class, they do not recommend anyone using mechanicals on bows with less than a 50 pound draw weight because of the they knew they know they're inefficient but you know they they can't say okay we don't recommend not using them because i think they they basically get a lot of the funding from various manufacturers so mm-hmm. and uh, but uh you know we're in it we we don't get money from any manufacturers and so got it all right. So now uh, I asked about the broadheads. Now, is, are there certain characteristics of an arrow shaft that a hunter should look into, like uh, maybe a certain diameter or a certain spine um, that should go into trying to yep. put together that perfect arrow? Yeah. Yeah. The shaft diameter. Now, you know, the back of the ferrule, you do not want that diameter of that shaft to be bigger than your ferrule Agreed. because that will basically you're coming through. Imagine this: you're going through with the broadhead. The broadhead hits gets inside the animal and then you've got a fatter shaft to try to push through there it's going to create drag so ideally slightly smaller equal to no bigger than equal to but maybe slightly smaller but -hmm. you don't want to go too small because then you're just running into less material and you're probably going to run into a structural issue then if you just don't have enough material there to drive that arrow through that through that animal Got it. Got so, it. And then, then so, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I apologize. No, I was just going to say that. And then a tapered shaft, it's been known for thousands of years that the tapered shafts are best for hunting. Uh, and it's basically, if people are wondering what I'm talking about on a tapered shaft, it's basically everybody's seen a pool stick, uh, for playing pool. It's basically, it looks like a pool stick, a scaled down pool stick, with the fat end up behind the ferrule or the broadhead, and then it tapers down slightly back to the knock. And uh, and what that does, it helps build in forward to center. It helps maintain, it also helps maintain over a parallel shaft, it helps maintain the, uh, the front part of that shaft on impact. It'll definitely help overcome that impact flex quicker because mm-hmm. the front two-thirds of that shaft tends to stay stiffer because it's a tapered shaft versus a regular parallel shaft, which will bend in the middle, the tapered shaft will bend in the back one third. So See, I was just about to ask that because one, um, uh, up until you saying it just right now, I honestly don't know why I pictured, because uh, I've heard of tapered arrows before, but I don't know why I pictured them the opposite way, that the the tapered end was the end that went into, you know, the broadhead went into and then you know, the larger end would be, would be the part knocked to the bowstring, but you yeah. just said it's the opposite. Yeah. And I guess I was going to ask that, that force of the bowstring, once you release, um, and what was that flex you, that flex you were talking about? Like how the bow porpoises, the impact flex, the, the impact flex. So 
that will take place more towards the tail end of the the arrow now with a with a tapered arrow. Correct. Correct. Yes, and you'll see that when that arrow hits, more or less the back third will bend, and and you'll have that impact flex in the front while the front two thirds stay stiff, driving into that animal or through that animal. And versus a parallel shaft, will basically flex in the middle. Okay. So. Uh, you're, 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 it'll help overcome that tapered shaft will definitely help o- overcome that uh, impact flex. And, and Easton just, I mean, like in 2019, they started building a tapered shaft. I have not seen, obviously said it's a custom order, uh, but, uh, but I have not seen that shaft. So, and, uh, but like the manufacturers that have been following it for years, uh, Grizzly Stick has been building tapered shafts. Oh gosh, they've been doing it since the early 2000s. So, because they're they're one of the leaders, they're one of the pioneers in following. Uh, they are the pioneer in following Ashby's research to build their products. All right. Well, does does um adding more weight on the front um at the front of the center help reduce that impact flex at all, or it's it's still it uh, helps there. Yeah, it, it helps aid and interest. Your balance point is up here in the front. So you think about it, your balance point. Okay. If I have my balance point. Say I take a, and, and we've done this, I'll just, the videos that we've got, I've got a, the identical air shaft, uh, both of them bear shaft, 10 per, one's 10% FOC and one's built to 20% FOC. Uh, we shot into a, uh, into a compression target to grab it, to stop it. The 10% FOC arrow was, it took, uh, uh, it was 226% longer to stabilize to stop wobbling versus the 20% FOC. The 20% FOC arrow hit, stabilized real quick, and then we timed it, looked at the timers, timed it, and then did the same thing on the 10% FOC, timed it, look at the difference, and it was it was 226% difference to stabilize on impact. So, so yes, the, the, the forward to center will help. It's just helping pull that arrow through the medium that you're hitting. All right. So now can I access the report to a point where um, if I know I'm going to be hunting elk out west, can I look look up that specific animal and look at what um, what I guess uh, research was done when hunting that particular animal or something similar and find that like can I access that information that way? Yeah, well, the we, the reports are all done in the reports. Well, what we've got out here is the uh, we've got a scale on, on our deal, mm-hmm. uh, basically an arrow chart, which basically gives our recommendations from the studies and what we know over thousands of animals. Uh, uh, so if you want to go elk hunting, you could call me and say, hey, Rob, I'm looking at this. I've got this, this and this. What do you think? And, and then I could run with you down and it's going to be different for every individual bow hunter because every bow hunter is different so your your draw your your draw cycle your everything so i mean it's it's going to be a personal preference too um you might not want to go with uh as heavy of an arrow as i would because of the trajectory and uh but you might be you might want to go with a heavier one and be fine with it so and uh so yeah, it, it, we could definitely help you out with that, but, uh, but we do have the arrow chart that kind of gets you a guideline. If I want to go elk hunting, if I want to go hippo hunting, if I want to go elephant hunting, you know, I mean, whatever we've got that from small game, from squirrels all the way through elephant on our website. So, 
Right. Now, I had mentioned before, and, and we discussed kind of like my experience at the bow shop, and you mentioned that most bow shops don't necessarily utilize uh, the information you guys provide. Um, there are a lot of, um, I want to say, independent guys on there that I've seen on social media that, you know, run their own small business in which they make custom arrows for bow hunters. Yeah. Um, do you think they, they use that information you guys provide? A lot of them do. Yes, and that's Good. that's where a lot of people are finding equipment like this. So, sure are. So a lot of the a lot of the smaller guys are are doing that, running that. So, but a lot of the larger shops, I mean, they're going to say, "Oh, this is pre-fletched," uh, or and everything else. Uh, I do everything myself. I buy all the raw components. I build it all myself. So, but I've been doing it a long time too. Understood. All right. I guess um, I, to to round out this interview a little bit. Um, is there anything that maybe as a new bow hunter that I didn't ask, um, I didn't do my due diligence in, in asking that you feel like that I, as a new bow hunter, or even my listeners as new bow hunters should know? Uh, no, I mean, I would, like I said, I, I would look at be welcome y'all to go look at the, uh, getting started section of our website, read the 12 factors. Um, if there are any questions, I mean, shoot us a note, contact us. I mean, you've got my email, you got my phone number. So, uh, be glad to, uh, be glad to help anybody. So that's what we're here for is to help all bow hunters. Our, our goal is to help you. If you want to go out there and it, be successful, we don't want you to go out there and have a bad experience. Say you shoot, uh, you just go get something, get, get your bow, get your arrow. And it hadn't been set up arrows not tuned you're not getting good flight you go out there and and um, wound an animal and have a bad experience we don't want that we want you to be successful and enjoy your experience so and uh and uh and it's good for the basically the non-hunting public to view bow hunters in a positive light we don't want bow hunters viewed in a negative light oh this deer's running around out there with an arrow stuck at it, hanging out of it so that's not good that's not good for any of us so well, and, I, and we've seen how emotional people are uh, on everything so uh yeah. and i i appreciate that because i think that's the biggest part of my journey has been being able to communicate to people how uh ethical hunters are you know yeah. what I'm saying, and th and this is um, more uh, just equips bow hunters with with more tools to be able to you know put down an animal ethically. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah, and then uh, I mean I, I can't reiterate uh, the structural integrity and perfect flight. Those even, I mean even before FOC structural integrity oh, yeah. and perfect flight. Yeah, and that's that's it's on our twelve factors. It's on the twelve penetration enhancing factors. Number one is going to always be structural integrity. I had a gentleman ask me one time. He said, "Well, shouldn't it be perfect flight?" I was like, "Well, no." I was like, "Because I can get up arrow flying perfectly, but then I shoot my animal and then it blows up. What good have I done?" You know, mm. I was like, "I need structural integrity and then perfect flight, and then start stacking the other factors in now." And if somebody wants to go, okay, I would rather say somebody, if you can get 18% FOC, and that's where you've got beautiful flight, mm -hmm. but you want to try 20%, go try it, 22, whatever, see how high you can get it. But once you can't get good flight, then you know you've got your baseline arrow at 18%, and you're, you'll be good with that and run. So, uh, so yeah, but uh, definitely take a 
to have your listeners, uh, viewers take a look at the, uh, 12 penetration enhancing factors and, uh, anybody can contact us. So we're here to help. Got it. Now, um, you mentioned earlier, essentially, that the Ashby Bowhunting Foundation is a nonprofit organization and that you're not sponsored by any brand. So does that mean that uh, myself or any one of my listeners could go somewhere and support you guys, like make donations or anything like that? Yes, it's it's all on the website. Uh, it's uh, There's a donate button on there if they want to do it, okay. and, and it goes straight through PayPal. And, uh, so yeah, and all, none of us on the foundation draw any salaries, all the, all the funds that are donated to this foundation go to education, uh, and research. And, um, and right now, you know, we've partnered with Texas parks and wildlife department. Uh, we are working with Texas parks and wildlife to go, uh, basically train their hunter ed and bow hunter ed instructors around Texas, uh, on the arrow lethality aspects of it. So they can take that. Uh, this information to the classrooms and teach the classrooms and then hopefully that will end up out in the field nice nice well i i can't wait to see what comes of that partnership um and what is the website exactly it is ashbybowhunting.org all right awesome i will be sharing that in the show notes um listen man thank you thank you so much for you know taking the time tonight to uh speak with me um share information on dr ed ashby on the foundation and all of your knowledge as well man i truly appreciate it oh our pleasure our pleasure so glad to have glad to be on here and all right man and, and best of luck hunting this fall thank you thank you i i will be uh are you guys on social media at all uh we've got the uh we've got a facebook page uh okay. i'm not i'm not personally on uh facebook, <laughs> but uh my uh the guys uh, that helped me have set up a facebook page so uh, they do have a facebook page out there and uh so uh, but i'm not <laughs> <laughs> got it no problem all right so i'll i'll, I'll do uh, a little deep diving in the social media find your facebook page and i'll definitely put that in the details and show notes as well as the the link to the website and even on um, the specific link to where, you know, people can donate and help support the support the foundation. OK, I greatly appreciate it. Thank nah, you. No worries, man. Thank you. Uh, you are a wealth of arrow information. I truly appreciate it. It actually, um, you know, uh, I'm actually on vacation and during the middle of the, the hunt season. Um, if I get a, a few minutes outside of the field, I definitely well, more than a few minutes. But I want I would like to sit down and try to make you know, some sense of the report and see how it pertains to me and the animals that I'll be hunting, you know, in the future. And then, uh, my next goal is to, uh, to start building my own arrows. So okay. I definitely want to take that information, all that information into, um, and put it into use, um, specific to what my needs are as okay. opposed to just, you know, sending my arrows to the shop and getting them cut. Yeah. Yeah. Good guy. Good. And <laughs> we'll be glad to help you with that too. So. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, right. I've got a lot of trial and error, so we'll be glad to <laughs> give you the good parts of it. So. Got it, got it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Rob Nielsen, um, Ashby Bowhunting Foundation. Thank you again, man. You have a blessed night. Thank you, Cliff. Y'all too. All right. Just want to say thank you again to Rob. I truly appreciate him taking the time out to sit down and speak with me this episode. 
actually as soon as i hit stop on this recording i'm probably going to head back and listen to it again uh jot down some notes um for me you know what i'm saying for when it comes down to me uh trying to build my own arrows i'm definitely going to be taking all the information rob shared with me this episode and put it into action all right so thank you again rob the president again of the ashby bow hunting foundation um if it was your first time listening to an episode of when the hunt calls i appreciate you for joining us if you are a return listener i appreciate you just as well all right um what i would love for you guys to do is to visit the uh how do you call it the review section of whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast on um hook a brother up with a five star rating and if you are feeling truly generous please hook me up with a dope review i would truly truly appreciate it or if you don't feel like doing any of those things hey just share this podcast with friends family or any brand new hunters anyone you know new to the game and is interested in learning about the stuff that i'm learning as well all right so again hope you guys enjoyed the episode and uh see you guys here next week all right don't forget you guys stay blessed and remember to respect the journey even when it's not your own